0: Welcome to the acclaimed podcast Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale.
1: Welcome to the Deep Dive. It is officially a football week. We have real game that is going to be kicked off this week to look forward to with the Hall of Fame game this Thursday. Oh yeah. uh, that uh, We're gonna that's do pretty it. exciting. <laughs> It's actually it's actually coming. The buildup is not for nothing. There is real football on the horizon, and we can see it. We can taste it, uh, and uh, we are going to dive into uh, a little bit of a different topic here. I think we've done something like six NFL uh, pods in a row, something like that, Andy, or maybe only four. We've done a we've done a handful of hardcore, like not for the week of heart. Not for how do we not stomach, know? like? I don't know the answer. NFL podcast. I think we did four in a row. Uh, and, uh, we, you know, we, 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 we went hard into some of the more important and interesting topics that we feel, uh, you should be kind of thinking about as you get ready to bet the NFL this season. Uh, and today we are going to pivot hard, but stick to football and cover college football with uh, a long time, long time friend of the pod. I think the second guest we ever had, uh, after our German friend, Suma, uh, this is, uh, what fourth or fifth? appearance on the deep Dive. welcome back mr locky lockerson
2: oh man thank you that was quite the introduction so i would say of the, all the appearances i've done on the pod march madness last year was probably the most excited i was to talk about something but this oh. is like this is like right up there this is let's call it tied for first this is really this is some exciting stuff
0: okay <laughs> all right good yeah well what you've been
2: up to I mean, dude, uh, like nothing. Doing anything nothing this stuff? all. Yeah. Um, so. You got a lot of uh, free time on yeah. your hands. So
1: you get, I, just well a little do bit.
2: Something. Yeah. I, I have like two kids under two and just like, you know, just I got time for days. Uh, I wrote a book maybe that maybe, maybe I've tried to promote a little bit. Maybe you guys have read it. I don't know.
1: Oh, really? We got a, uh, we got a full on, uh, we were full on graced with the presence of an author on today's pod, bestselling author on Amazon.
2: Yeah, all categories. Right? It's every category. All category. Yeah. In every
1: category. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, congratulations. Uh, I got the book. I love it. Yeah. It is uh, exactly kind of in the sweet spot of what I like to read and prepare for, for betting into a sport that I don't know a ton about. It is pretty obvious that you are exceptionally passionate for college football. Uh, and this kind of specifically targets, in my opinion, uh, you know, someone who is. you know, who wants to bet college football, but not from an uninformed standpoint when it comes to kind of theory and um, kind of understanding sort of the the fundamental aspects that go into breaking down a problem, turning it into a quantitative kind of way of evaluating it and then coming out on the other side with, okay, these are advantage plays based on the way that I broke down this problem. All of, you know, all of that comes came through very clearly reading the book Uh, and it's tough to, kind of bridge that gap from just kind of writing about a sport to providing a quantitative and useful tool, uh, which I think you did. So congratulations. Excellent work. Uh, How's it been received?
2: Uh, I think it's been received pretty well. You know, I, there were parts of the book that as I was writing them, I was like, uh, people are really going to hate this part. Like just because it goes against, it goes against a lot of stuff that they probably have read or that they value when they make decisions. That's, I would say the number one thing, that I'm happy that the book is done is, you know, like, so I, I was a consumer of a lot of college football material for many years as, as a fan, especially the last I don't know, like four or five years, especially before getting into this really seriously. And I never really felt like when I was done reading everything that I had a great idea about what a good bet was and what a bad bet was. And I, I knew a lot about each team and I knew a lot of information, uh, but I didn't really know what information that I had just read what mattered and what information did not matter and the the number one finding of the book is i think that almost all of the information i used to consume did not matter at all <laughs> and probably and probably led to me making a lot of bad decisions or thinking that i was making good decisions when i was not so what i would just say is you know the in terms of how it's been received i think the number one thing that the book does which is positive is it helps people avoid making a bad bet which a lot of times is just as good as making a good bet. Um, I think that's like the best way I can put it.
1: I mean, just on its face though, like if you're, you know, like that experience has got to be like life-changing value because you are now kind of reframing the entire way you go about solving a problem, evaluating market, like, oh, okay, all this stuff that I thought was data that I thought was signal is not. (laughs) <laughs> right right away. Like even if you can, you know, as soon as you can recognize that, you can start, you know, refining your yes. your position and your perspective.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean That's uh, for
0: sure that my favorite part. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I the way you well, explain yeah, the way the way you explain certain markets, like that you don't you talk about all the other uh, you know, we're not gonna name names, but any other any <laughs> other preview material you can get for college football and I mean, just, they don't really explain the, you know, what goes into it. And that, that is my favorite part. And I mean, you're, you're giving away the farm on some of this stuff. People should be paying a lot more for this because, (laughs) you know, you you can say, you you know, you can just say, well, here's my picks. I think these are plus value. I mean, you, you really break it down. And I think the biggest compliment I can give to those sections. and I mean, let's just take the Heisman section anything like that and some of the stuff we did pre pre pod we were talking it makes me think about how i'm handicapping other markets in other sports like if you can take that information and it it makes you think about how you're doing things, how you're attacking problems, how you're approaching markets and prices in completely different markets, sports, uh, anything. I think that right away, I mean, that's a huge inherent value. A lot of the book just had me thinking about other things, which is, I don't know, a weird compliment, like uh, you had my mind wandering. But yeah, when you get into some of the problem solving on on those markets, it really, really had my mind racing
2: yeah oh well. Yep. i'm I'm yep. happy to hear that. And I think, like I think uh, that's good. And I think one of the things about when I was saying before, when you consume all this material, and then when you're done, you still don't really know where to. Be. it's almost like you haven't even begun yet. You don't even know where to begin. And yeah. part of the reason for that is that it's risky to write material in which you're making very concrete selections and giving advice or explaining something that might even eliminate an edge. And I don't even really know, Necessarily that I have an edge like 100%. Uh, like it, it's possible that I do not. That this has all been a ton of noise and whatever. But you know, a lot of material that you will consume, you know, will kind of say it'll be like ah, oh, you know, like this team's going to be good this year or like a dark horse or a contender. There's a lot of like synonyms and verbiage <laughs> that a preview guide can use to try to say something in a way that's vague enough that if they get it wrong, it doesn't matter and if they get it right then they can say that they had said it so like yeah. there's you know there's a, there's a me- there's 100 different ways to say the same thing usually like something about a contender is the way to do it so if you know let's say if alabama clemson georgia and ohio state are are viewed as like favorites if you give the next 10 teams as your dark horse (laughs) and then and one of them makes the playoff you can then claim (laughs) that you had the dark horse and it's when in reality like okay like you didn't pick teams one through four but in a competition in which four teams are awarded something you had teams five through 14 like the idea that you will get something right in that situation is extremely high so if you want to know how you can write a guide year after year and this does not apply to any guide singularly or any sport singularly, really. It applies to just the concept of guides. Like if you make a bunch of bold predictions and you're wrong about all of them, you are probably worried that no one is going to buy the guide again next year. And so a lot of the language that you get in guides is sort of like, ah, like, they have a chance at a bowl game, or could win the conference, or uh, whatever. In such a way I that we're like feeling dark horse is the super, best,
1: right? Like super low consequence. Dark what about the but light horse? Like, like, that's
2: always like my no call. consequence oh, no, it, statement. It's,
1: um,
0: it's the yeah. Twitter lean. I mean, it's like putting out a you put out the tweet, and you you see this from some accounts that are will remain nameless. I'm leaning the Red Sox tonight. I'm not betting it, but I'm leaning it. And then if the Red Sox lose, that's the last you hear about that. <laughs> but if the Red Sox win, of course that person retweets. I hope you all made some money off this tonight.
2: Yeah, I'll be doing and this all. One to know plus mean, one. Unit.
0: Yeah. One to know on my leans.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I think that I think that just to kind of like to tie a bow on that topic. So I think with this guide, like there are there are a lot of bet recommendations in the guide, some of which are even not available right now. The numbers have already moved in a way that makes me feel good because the market is moving towards my projection. And the good thing about this guide, I think, is that when you read with any sport, if you read just preview material on the sport, I'm not sure at the end of it. And, you know, if you go to the next season when you when you get ready to do the next season, are you any smarter in terms of how you are figuring out what to bet on? So my my sort of purpose or hope with this guide is that when you read it, okay, like there are bets in there that you can make. They are still available. We'll talk about some at the end of the podcast, but did you learn certain things about the markets that made you think about the season differently so that next season, maybe you don't even buy the guide, maybe you try to write your own guide, maybe you try to have your own material, do your own research, whatever, that there are ways you can think about those markets where it's like, oh, you know, actually, like, this isn't a market I ever want to be betting into, or if I'm betting this market, here's the type of bet that I should be looking for, something like that, so that, you know, if I get a win total wrong, you didn't feel like it was a waste of money, basically.
1: I like this. I like this a lot. Well, um, our friend yeah, I like, Suma. Yeah, I like that yeah. you took a stand. Yes, absolutely. And, and our, our friend Suma did this for the NFL last year, and I enjoyed it immensely because it was a product that was written for a better, not a product that was written to serve a college football fan base broadly. And I think one of the things that, you know, other guys, other kind of previews, you know, they try to capitalize on just serving up softballs to kind of satisfy your preconceptions, right? Like if you go in thinking like, man, Oregon's got a shot this year, and you flip to the Oregon page in your guide, and that's the only preview you read. And at the end, they're like, "Oh, they're a dark horse." You're like, "Yes, I knew it. Oregon's got a shot, right?" <laughs> like, like that's like the whole purpose of it. Like, they're not serving like a gives it gives you that confirmation, <laughs> confirmation bias galore. Like, they are yep. preying on that sort of stuff because that's the you know the audience is the you know is a different level of people who are seeking information. And I mean, is it fair to say that? you know, you have like a target audience here. That's, you know, maybe a a smaller subsect of college football fans who are just, you know, razor focused on, you know, trying to beat the market.
2: Yeah. So I, I tried, I tried to kind of keep the audience as broad as I could when I was writing, but I mean, at some point you have to make decisions. Like I can't, you know, I can't have a chapter on Monte Carlo simulation. Like I can't, like <laughs> well, I just, because you, no, you well, that's, though. that's true. I actually, that was, that <laughs> sentence was totally incorrect. I could have had a sentence or I could have had a chapter on different types of statistical analysis, like places you can scrape data from that are more advantageous than others, like stuff like that, stuff that, I mean, and I'm not a pro, but stuff that, you know, like pros tend to do. And I could try to walk somebody who is very, You know not knowledgeable about the topic through it but like that to me seemed like not that shouldn't be the point of this like the point of this is if you're a fan and you don't bet you can still get a lot smarter and if you're a fan and you do bet you can still get smarter and you can still learn something like is there something for everyone in it now for like there's a certain tipping point where when you are in a very experienced better you know you're, this will become completely useless to you like this will be stuff that you are either already aware of or does not necessarily improve your understanding of the markets because you already have a great understanding of the markets so like i don't i don't know if that's ever an audience you, one should be writing books for like the people who are <laughs> already an expert in that subject matter like you write a book for somebody who's not an expert in the subject matter sure. to help them get a little further up the chain a little bit basically sure. so you know try to keep the audience as broad as i could like sometimes things probably sound too dumb, or maybe there are betting concepts that sound too smart, uh, or, you know, but I tried to be somewhere in between.
1: Okay, well, either way, it was pretty clearly, uh, you know, very, very, um, you know, well thought out and uh, impressive labor. So good job by you. Uh, hopefully we get to that level of uh, kind of producing something that, uh, you know, that is has that utility someday. And, um, you know, you're, you're, uh, you should really <laughs> Should we do
0: an on-air book review?
1: Uh, we well, I think it we, have. we the, can have the deep okay. dive
0: seal of approval. It sounds like yeah, five star. Let's yeah. right give. Let's give it. We've never given. We've never given this out before.
1: Okay. This F- is a first. <laughs> okay, you go. Ahead. Giving
0: it the seal of approval.
1: Okay, yeah, five stars. Okay, I mean, you approval. got it. You, you're, um, you're, you're. I and you you're know, getting I, the seal I, of approval right now. I, and and I know I know what you were saying though about like if you're if you're if you're experienced at like beating markets already like you're not reading a book that's previewing but at the same time like. You know, I do think that people who have been doing this a long time would get something out of it because, like we were just talking about, the way you go about solving problems, I feel like was extremely, uh, you know, it was unique and it was interesting. And it did make me think about how to attack and approach other markets that were outside of college football. And so I think you did that part of it very well. Um, I have a random philosophical question for you about college football, given that you've kind of spent a lot of time thinking about this and you clearly have a very... Um, You know, a very clear and obvious passion for college football betting. Um, Is it fair to say that college football uh, betting lends itself to an especially contrarian strategy and point of view?
2: Oh, man, that's a pretty good question. Um, So I think you know, that question calls for like a precise answer when in most cases there will not be one. Um, so I think like, I, I guess my answer would, would sort of expectedly be sometimes yes, sometimes no. So like the, you know, there's a level of predictability to what happens every season in terms of like the teams at the top are always going to be really good they're basically never going to be bad. So if you were to be contrarian and say like Alabama's going to be bad or like Clemson's going to be bad, that would overall over the course of the last X number of years, oh, that would not be, be a kill. very positive opinion yeah. to take. Yeah. yeah. Like what, what are they going to do? Be a dynasty? <laughs> like when that could happen. So, um, so like it's Saban,
0: didn't you see him with right? the Dolphins? My God. Yeah,
2: guy's a joke <laughs> so. Um, so in terms of like, I would say at the very top, and when predicting the winner and the playoff teams, and to a certain extent the Heisman, uh, there is a lot of predictability and you should not be taking a very contrarian approach. In fact, one of the ways I think you can avoid bad bets, especially in the title market, is by thinking that too many teams have a chance to win the title when in fact very few do, and that too many teams have a chance to make the playoff when in fact very few do. So in that way, I would say, don't be contrarian. Like. Pick, you know, take the take the favorites and figure out where the most value is of those teams um, to win in those things. Now, when it comes to, like, when should you be contrarian, uh, I think there is a level of unpredictability in single games in college football that maybe is not captured sometimes. So the idea that sort of, like, on any Saturday, crazy stuff can happen perhaps more often than in other sports. Um, and there are specific situations. Non-conference has sort of, like, become infamous for – We don't really have a read on the teams yet, and the teams, the opponents that the teams have played are so all over the map, it is almost impossible to get a consistent rating. Therefore, the market has trouble rating them. Therefore, there will be more upsets, or therefore, there will be at least more larger upsets than maybe we we should expect there to be. So on a single game level, or when you get into conference play, there are certain very specific matchups or rivalries in which the coaches are the same, or circumstances that are set up where... You know, maybe the market is a little off and upsets are a little more likely uh, within a season. But I would say, like, from a season long standpoint, I, I would I there is a contrarian angle that we can talk about when we talk about win totals. But I think overall, like, you don't want to be the guy who's like, oh, all the good teams, they're going to everybody's on Bama. Everybody's on Georgia everybody's on Clemson like I don't want to be on them like no no you want to be on them like you you want to be on them like when it comes to the larger prizes so
1: that makes total sense okay um yeah and I mean what just got me on that road was you know you were saying like okay yeah a lot of what I thought was new use useful and information turned out to be not useful <laughs> so I'm thinking oh man like yeah okay because you know you can kind of find there are, I, I don't know I th- I feel like every sport in every market is real. I mean, the closing
0: busy. numbers are still going to be predictive.
1: Yeah, the, but yeah, but even than that, like I feel like you can start and stop your discussion about how to handicap the NFL on beating the closing line. Like, there's 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 some pretty straightforward truths to how you want to go about you know handling almost every sport from a handicapping perspective. And I was wondering if. You know, if if the uh, if the secret to unlocking college football was contri- being you know you know kind of embracing some contrarian. <laughs> well, I can I can answer your well, first topic. I, you so are, are I, can, I mean I w- you are
0: right on openers. I mean I, that's that's where my mind went right away. Is you do see some people that are pretty successful betting into openers, in especially maybe in some smaller conferences. But the, I mean there are some wild moves, especially like Lockie said there in the non conference. If you think you have better power rankings in the market. Like they, there are some big moves off those opening numbers. You do see some pretty successful people maybe being a little contrarian to, you know, where the market opens.
2: Right. Yep. And it, it can't be like a wide sweeping, you can't just be like, well, I'm going to bet every dog over 28 or something, you know, like whatever. Like there's no there's no like magical oh, yeah. formula to apply to every team. It's like every game needs to be assessed differently, but I I think there are opportunities just to go back to uh whale something you were saying about why you asked me the philosophical question because I had said Oh, well, all the things that I learned were wrong, right? Like everything, everything I needed to know about <laughs> college football, I just learned last week. But like yeah, yeah. the the reason for that, and I guess what I mean by that is, okay, so I knew Alabama was good before I researched the book. I knew Alabama was good after I researched the book. The reason why they are good is not what I thought the reason was, or I should say like the ways in which the win total number was generated were not the things that I would have expected or, you know, I was able to come up with a win total that was the same as the market. Not putting some things in that I thought mattered, or trying them and figuring out they didn't matter, or made things kind of out of whack. Like that's sort of what I was meaning.
1: I got you. I got you. Okay, cool, cool. cool. Let's talk about the win total market real quick. Um, we've been doing a decent amount of kind of going combing through the historical odds and and trying to suss out uh, some signal, looking at specifically looking at uncertainty relative to the win totals and we've noticed in the nfl a couple of very obvious things <laughs> and we've covered this at length so we're not going to go rehash all this but just generally stated like unders look to have more value than overs broadly because they're inflated based on kind of fans betting into the over probably uh and then separately separately and entirely different uh, the uncertainty that you have year over year is much broader uh, than what is reflected by selling with half wins, full wins. And so if you kind of can seek out an alternate win total, uh, you don't even really need to know what it is. You can just swing away at it on both sides uh, and you're probably going to have value in your position. Um, all of that was kind of born, by the way, and Andy and I kind of figured we're, you know, we, we, we hashed this out. It was kind of born out of one of your posts about, uh, you know, betting the extremes relative to the college bowl. Uh, oh, yeah. Do you remember that? You were basically like, like, uh, like, like, you know, like, I I don't know if these are right or wrong. I just, I don't know if the center value is right or wrong. It's probably about right, but I know these extremes are outrageous. Like, that's kind of like the seed that germinated all of our thinking about the other win totals. But, um, but aside from all that, like, you know, how, how would you say, Uh, have you kind of come across any similar thoughts about the way that the win total markets are shaped for the college football? Is any of that even applicable? Cause I, you know, these are different sports, you know, the schedules are not balanced like in the NFL in general, like there could be completely different, you know, factors at play that make it much tougher to, to, to kind of apply certain truths. Would you say that, that, that applies?
2: Um, yeah, I, so I think the two markets are actually, I would say they're wildly different for a few reasons. Um, I would say the first thing is how close the win total number is to the actual number of wins in college football's case. Uh I think when you guys were doing your NFL thing, you said that like the average uh like mistake or whatever you want to call it, like misfit compared to a yeah. number was like yeah. two point a low two, right? Two and a was, half, something like that. Yeah, two
1: and two and a half. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So uh now in college, shorter season. So like in terms of percentage like difference, it'll be it will be less, but uh, I think I in the largest data set I have so far I think the average error is like 1.28 wins um, in a in a in a 12 game season. So if you want to just look at that as in a 12 game season it's like 11% you know difference in terms of the number of games they play and then the NFL it's more than that playing 16 games. So the wow. first my first thought when I see something like that is like oh no like is this really a market I want to be betting into? <laughs> When, same, the, yeah, when the when the mark when the market is like <laughs> dead on consistent, like nothing's ever that crazy. So if you just stop there, you would be like, "All right, well, I'm gonna go bet something else." Like where <laughs> where are the NBA win totals where are those guys? Yeah, let's, so, let's go game um, here. Let's go game. Right. Here. I think I think let's NBA wins. Right. I just I just ran NBA wins actually uh because I'm like you know hintity hint building another project for that for the season. um And NBA wins are actually really tight, too, but not this tight. Um, This is, like, pretty wild. And so the the first question that it begs is, okay, well, why are college football win totals so much closer to the actual number than NFL win totals? And the answer is actually really obvious when you look at the schedules, which is that the college football schedule contains – a an incredibly high number of high probability wins and losses for a lot of teams that are not contained in an nfl schedule so in an nfl schedule you have no idea who's going to be good or bad really within the course of a given season like we're pretty sure arizona is going to stink and we're pretty sure the patriots are going to be good and everything in between is kind of like somewhere between like maybe like six and eleven wins and in college there are you know, maybe a hundred games that are going to be played where I can already tell you with 95 to 99% certainty who the winner of the game is going to be. And no matter when the game is played this season or what the weather is or who the starting quarterback is, even for either team, it is a certainty that there will be a winner of that game. And I can tell you who that's going to be. So because of that, when you're trying (laughs) to, you know, formulate your own win total, you can get pretty close just by adding up, let's say all the games where there's a 90% win probability or more, or the team has a 10% win probability or less. So like, you know, if I'm, I'll pick a random team and random games. So if I'm like central Michigan and I play Clemson, like, Let's chalk that one up as a loss. And if I'm Central Michigan and I play Clemson and I'm like, oh, man, we play Clemson in non-conference. Like, let's give uh, like let's give Wagner a call. See if they want to come here. We'll pay. We'll pay them. Five, and that was a Central Michigan. They're not going to pay anybody. But Central Michigan, let's pay them five hundred thousand dollars to come play us in a game and we'll get a win. And then we'll be one and one. And we're going to set up our schedule in such a way that we can get to a bowl game, hopefully. Uh, So because this behavior occurs all the time. And a lot of the teams that are being paid have win totals and are part of this. And a lot of teams that are doing the paying are win have win totals and are a part of this, it sort of creates this sort of extreme predictability at the fringes, um, which you see sometimes. So just to kind of like spin this forward and, and, you know, with more exact analysis. So I talked about the average mistake is basically like a route, it's like 1.2, 1.3 wins um, in terms of versus the win total and the actual wins uh, pretty tight. When you look at the listed win total and how often the actual number of wins differs from that, you start to see like really, really interesting things emerge. And this is actually stuff I don't talk about in super detail in the book, but for like a betting pod like this, I think is really interesting. So... I would say one thing the market does really, really well is it identifies the teams that are like crazy elite every year. There's usually only like a few of them, maybe like three or four or five, maybe. Uh, it does a really good job of knowing who those teams are and setting an appropriate number, uh, usually like 10 and a half, 11 or 11 and a half. So every team plays with a couple exceptions, basically like if Hawaii is involved uh, or a service academy, every team plays 12 games. So if a win total is 11 or 11 and a half, that team's probably pretty damn good. And if the win total is 10 and a half, they're probably also pretty good. They might just be in the sec basically um yeah. <laughs> so there are yeah. there are there have only been in my data set there's only been two occurrences where a team prior to this year where a team has had a win total of eleven and a half. and a half uh there's only been two occurrences where a team has had a win total of 11 there's been 21 10 and a halves so in those three if you take those three together 10 and a half 11 and 11 and a half the three highest possible win total values you can have uh the average mistake in there is like 0. 0.6 it's like as wow. possibly now again you're at the upper part of the range so like a team can't win 13 games they can only exceed going one or they can only be far off going one way so it's going to be less just like if you have win totals that are like one and a half and two they're probably going to be less because you can't really win you can't win negative one games even though like yukon's probably going to try this year so you can't So like when you look at 10 and a half, 11 and 11 and a half, like these are dead on, like these teams aren't bad. So of all the teams that have ever had win totals in my set of 10 and a half, 11 or 11 and a half, the fewest number of games, any of those teams, this is 25 teams. The fewest number of games, any of those teams has ever won is eight. And that has only happened twice, three times, excuse me, every other team. So 22 of the 25 teams that have win totals, 10 and a half, 11 or 11 and a half have won at least 10 games. So you're just, the market does a really, really good job of saying, man, you know who's going to win like 10 or 11 games this year? That team. And so when you're evaluating those teams, like you need to have a really good reason for betting against them, I would say, because these are numbers that the market tends to get really right. So like this year, that's basically (sighs) Clemson, Alabama, uh, Georgia, Oklahoma, in terms of power conference teams. Oh, sorry. So I'm only talking about power conference teams, like small teams have their own set of rules, but like the big conference teams. So that's about sixty-four or sixty-five, if you put Notre Dame in, this is a rule that governs them specifically. Mm. Uh, I have more. It's if you almost like, like you're not continue. really handicapping your twelve-game.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. like you're not handicapping a twelve-game schedule. Like with Alabama, yeah, you, exactly, exactly, it's like you said with the, 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 the with eight eight essentially being the hard deck. You're not going below that. Even to get to eight is a huge outlier. Like you're handicapping three. Games for the Bama win total. Like you yeah. just have to. What do you think happened? Probably maybe even two. I mean, it might just be the LSU and Auburn. Uh, what a, they play A M and in at I I I I I don't have the schedule in front of me, but like you know, th- I think they play New Mexico State. That's ninety nine point nine percent. A lot, of, all those non conference games are just yeah. trash.
2: Like yeah. You know, so I would say it's, it's, it's a three totally game, right. it's a
0: three game slate that you're you're handicapping. Right
2: so there is so there are two more interesting tiers of analysis aside from that one so that one's like the teams at the very very top how do they how does the market generally do at evaluating how many wins they're going to have and the answer is they do a really 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 good job and then yeah what i would say the next two tiers are what i would call the most interesting so the bottom is actually not very interesting there is not a lot to be drawn from the bottom there is not anything that really stands out when you're talking about somewhere between one and a half and four there's really nothing interesting about one and a half to four however the two (laughs) tiers that are really interesting are what i would call like the second tier and the third tier so the second tier is the group of teams that i would call like this is going to be our year teams so like (laughs) These are teams that are not like the machine, like super elite, you know, like that's Alabama and Clemson. Now that was like, you know, urban Meyer, Ohio state. That was like LSU back then, back in the day. That was like USC with Pete Carroll. That was, I mean, they're like, just there's those couple teams where it's just like, Every year, you can pencil them in for like 10 and a half, 11, 11 and a half win total. They're going to win that many games. Like it's over. The next set of teams are the teams that are like the second tier teams. So they're really, really good, but they're not as good as the other ones. So these are teams with win totals that you will frequently see in nine, nine and a half, and 10 range, and some eight and a half, especially if they play in a really tough conference. So like, I would say these are the teams every year that every single casual person tries to talk themselves into. Uh, and when you start to get from 10 and a half to 10 in the market, when yeah. that drop occurs and it's like a it is like the starkest drop you can possibly have. So, fit, there there have been 21 instances of a win total of 10 and a half, uh, 57% have gone over. It's a small sample, but like, you know, we're getting those numbers pretty right. The average error is less than 1. Okay. Uh, win total of 10 Goes over nineteen percent of the time, what? and there are thirty-eight percent pushes. What? So, like, <laughs> so oh from ten down, and the average error goes up about like a half a win. Oh so, and, and then from ten to nine and a half to nine to eight and a half, you start to see a very consistent trend emerge, which is the prevailing amount of just an insane amount of unders okay. and you can say like, well, what's the reason for that? So I have a theory that basically like every power, and again, we're only talking about, like I don't wanna hear about like Ohio, like I don't care right now for this discussion or like Boise whose win total is like 10 or 10 and a half every year. So for power conference teams, the teams that could win the title that all kind of behave the same way, these are sort of the rules. So when you're you're dealing with everybody outside of the super elite, my theory is that basically there is like magnetic attraction toward the number seven, It's basically like between six and a half and seven. And the average power conference team every year wins about 6.99 games. That's the average number of teams. If you start to get, once you eliminate the super elite that have essentially broken college football, they recruit way too well. Their coach is way too good. Their quarterback is always the best. When you remove that couple teams, every other team kind of behaves the same way in the market. So win totals that are eight and a half, nine, nine and a half, 10 have very, very, very strong unders and win totals that are just under like six, five and a half, five have very, very, very strong overs, and they both pull in that direction. And what you what you might say is like, well, what, like, why the fuck does that happen? <laughs> and with the bottom, it's so much more easily explainable. I have a theory about why it occurs at the top. So at the bottom, basically, at the bottom is generally like every power conference team averages seven wins. So if you have a team that's at like, that is in a power conference that is at five, five and a half, like they probably – either have been terrible for a really long time or they got recently got a new coach or there's been like a lot of overhaul in some way so like a couple teams that i'm thinking about that fit this profile kind of it's like west virginia and like georgia tech and north carolina teams like that uh sure. kind of fall into this range so when you're a four and a a half win total the average error of a four and a half win total is about 1.9 the average okay. error of a win total of five is two and a quarter and the average wind error of a wind total of five and a half is about one point seven five. So these are teams that we're getting wrong all the time. And what it what you come to find out is we're generally getting them wrong to the over. Not like a ton, but I would say of all the wind totals on the board, this is basically the only zone where you see overs hit at a larger rate than anything else, because. Like with a lot of other win total markets, there are more wins built in than actually exist. So unders will always sort of be skewed that way. Like in most win total markets, you should kind of like always bet unders. If you, you, especially (laughs) if you don't have an opinion, you just don't flip a coin. Just like if you don't really know what to do, bet the under because there are probably like more wins accounted for in the win totals than there are actual games that can be won. So when, and you see that play out across these totals, there's really only like three or four values where the win total for the over is about, hits it above 50%. And almost every other thing is way below 50. So this is one set that stands out as like five, five and a half crazy errors all the time in all directions, generally favoring the over. Okay. Well, why is that? So in the book, this is the one angle that I talk about where I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And five especially five is pretty wild where you're basically hitting it like 56 57 percent sometimes more if you restrict it to like five, last five years where maybe you could argue like everyone's information is smarter still this is happening yep. um and you're pushing at a really high rate too so like you just you when you capture the five with a power conference team it's just incredible um because of the way they and you and so you say like all right well why is this happening okay well this is if you don't incredible. know anything about co- if you don't know anything about college football uh, sorry this is like a 20 minute answer by the way but this is exactly why we write <laughs> so I, <laughs> taking I, notes. Is, i'm gonna i'm gonna so, go- be
1: I, I i i don't always go back and listen to our pods but i'm gonna listen to this i, mean, I just gonna right. say yeah. the same thing <laughs> so,
2: yeah like i'm gonna so five, <laughs> fives especially <laughs> well, i'm glad you guys are so interested so meanwhile the me and my listeners like i'm gonna flip over to like svp and russell i'll see you guys later uh so <laughs> like the the reason why if you don't know anything about college football the reason why five and five and a half might be appealing if you bet the over um or why you might see those come in a little more often than it you know other overs at other numbers is that there's basically like sort of a design to the college football schedule that is very, very, uh, you know, on purpose. It, you know, it's, it's, it's done with purpose, which is every team wants to make a bowl game. And with some exceptions, the way that you make a bowl game is you have to win six games. And when you win six games and you make a bowl, that is a financial boon for your school. There's all sorts of in college football in general, there are all sorts of financial tie-ins, which actually sort of dictate like who kind of sets things up a certain way and should win certain things and goes to the playoff and all of these things that have money tied to them generally through the conferences, it's all been set up in such a way where the money generally goes to all we and always goes to the same places. And part of that is if you're a power conference school, setting up your schedule in such a way so that you are eligible to go play in a bowl. And the way you do that is you have to win six games. Okay. Well, let's say, let's say you're Alabama, like you're going to win six games. So, when you're scheduling, even as far in advance as this is scheduled, you know, your level of recruiting, your level of confidence that you can get to that threshold means that when you're scheduling non-conference games, like you can schedule some bad teams, but you can also schedule like a couple test games. Like you can, you know, Alabama just booked Wisconsin last year. They played Louisville when they were supposed to be good. It turns out they were terrible. They played Florida state before that. Like sec teams have recently said, especially that they're willing to schedule tougher games because they want they don't want to be accused of playing cupcakes anymore. Okay, well, let's say you're Vanderbilt. You are, by a large margin, the worst recruiting team in the conference. You have to play Alabama. You have to play Georgia. We don't always have to play Alabama. Sometimes you have the pleasure of playing Alabama. Then sometimes you have to play Georgia, Florida, a and all these teams that just have sick five-star athletes. Okay, so what do you do? OK, well, when you're looking at your schedule, you are going to be much less likely to schedule a lot of test games on your non-conference schedule because you know you're going to get the crap beaten out of you in the conference schedule. So yeah. your path to six games involves scheduling a slightly easier non-conference. So d- the whole point of this is decisions are being made at schools in terms of paying schools to come play you to get a win and how you set up your schedule in terms of the ways that you can control. You can't control who's in your conference, obviously, like season to season, you can't, Um, all decisions are being made so that you hit the sixth target or you go over it. And so when you see a power conference team with a win total of five, it is sort of a number that is not indicative of what the school's goal is like if a win total is seven the school is not saying to themselves you know what we have to do win more than seven games like that's a made-up number that we're just betting on but yeah. if you see a win total of five the school is actually designing a schedule and playing the season in such a way that they can win more games than that so in a way they are on the same side that you were on and yeah. you kind of see that zero bear mind. out yeah, in terms of – and and what I say in the book, which is also very interesting, is five and five-and-a-half are set with basically as great a frequency as six-six-and-a-half and, and seven-seven-and-a-half in terms of the market. Seven-seven-and-a-half is the most set. If you take the, you know, solid number, whatever the whole number – I probably just butchered whatever the math term and for that is – and the yeah, half the number – yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> and the – by the way, by my book, there's a lot of math in it. So I'm sure that makes people feel really comfortable <laughs> with stuff, so um, – If you, if you take, if you take the integer and the half and you combine them basically like, you know, you see a pretty even distribution, you know, six, six and a half actually occurs less than five, five and a half. And then seven, seven and a half, eight, eight and a half, whatever, but five, five and a half basically should not be assigned as much as it is for the goals that the teams have the average number of wins they get and like how they're setting everything up to make that happen. So, you know, we talked about teams at the way top. We talked about the teams kind of right under the bowl eligibility, but to get back to sort of the, this is our year teams. Cause this is like my favorite set. <laughs> like this is, <laughs> it's so funny because it, what it this really time. captures. I think what it really captures is it's all the, it's the dark horse teams. Like, it's yep. all these teams that we all spend all of this material and <laughs> and content all and magazineing the discussion. We spend all of this time <laughs> trying to pick basic – like, literally oh, every yeah. year, the exercise essentially boils down to who are the third and fourth playoff teams going to be. And that doesn't change – like, everyone's like, oh, Alabama Clemson, like, we've never had something like this, like, bullshit. We have this, like, every year. The teams are just different. <laughs> like – yeah, like, yeah, you know who made the playoff a lot? Like, Urban Meyer, wherever he was. Like, yeah, yeah. You, know who, like, you know who won the title a lot? USC. Like, we know, yeah. like, there's always those teams. It's just in the playoff structure, because the playoff structure has only been around, this is the sixth year, Alabama and Clemson are just the teams of the moment. In this structure, that's all we know. But in five years, that won't be all we know. There'll be another team, and we don't know who that is. A lot of people probably think it's Nebraska. So, like, when you look at the teams that this is going to be our year, it's like, really, you have this group of, let's say like eight or nine teams and really only one of them are actually probably going to be, it's really only going to be their year. It's not going to be everyone else's year. <laughs> and, and you know, this is like, Oh, like I hit my dark horse. It was Texas. And it's like, well, while you were hitting your dark horse <laughs> of Texas, here are the eight teams that went under 10. <laughs> like here, yeah, right. here are the eight teams that went under nine and a half. Like, you know, who didn't have their you year? Tell me it can't Florida. be everybody's here. Right. So the even just <laughs> in a power conference schedule, the idea that it can be this many teams year is just not correct. So in the in the data set that I have, uh, win totals of 10 go over at 19% and push about 40%. Win totals of nine and a half, which again there can be no pushes, duh, it's nine and a half, go over thirty-three percent of the time. Win totals of nine go over thirty-six percent of the time. Oh my god. So you're oh just my if god. if you're putting your faith true. if you're if you're putting your faith in the dark horse team.
1: Yeah, that, you better that, be right. <laughs> and
2: you better you better pick the right one because there's a lot of horses in the stable and only ones winning the race. So I mean, yeah, you know, it's yeah, just yeah. it's really and eight and a half are actually an eights, it's the same concept. Again, there's like a magnetic pull around the number seven. And sure. basically, like when you get too far over that, like. You really better be careful it's about like pinball. And when you get too far under it, well, yeah, I guess in a Well, no, extent, no, 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 yeah, that so, makes so. sense. Because, um, like,
1: you know, what, once you punch your sixth ticket, but you're not no, going to your sure. conference title game, what do you care until late November? You know, yeah, maybe you're playing I mean, your rival, but like maybe you're just playing some team that you know you're going to get your ass kicked. Ah, whatever. We got our six wins. You and, know? and just like, the,
2: the motivational aspect is for, I, I, you know, I would say the motivational aspect is something that. Bears studying, but I cannot confirm that any of that is true. What sure, I would say sure, sure, sure. is yeah, that yeah, if you, sure. oh yeah, I mean, that's just like the fun bar talk is like, ah, yeah, they don't give a shit. They got seven wins yeah. already. So like, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but what I would say is that if every power conference team behaves kind of the same way outside of the like Uber elite broken the system teams, if every team kind of behaves the same way, then like the likelihood, any one of those teams really should win nine or 10 games when they're playing each other a lot is pretty low, and bear in mind that, like, well, you're like, oh, well, that's not true. Like, the teams in the SEC are better than the teams in the Pac-12. Like, yeah, but the teams in the SEC are playing each other, and the teams in the Pac-12 are playing each other. So, like, there's only one game probably every year where the SEC plays the Pac-12. Like, in fact, I think Auburn plays Oregon this year, so, like, there's your one. And so the idea that the teams that are constantly testing themselves against similar teams, the idea that anyone who hasn't broken the system would exceed that one way or the other is, it seems like, incorrect and yeah, right. we'll see if that continues to bear itself out the more data points we get you know <laughs> i don't think i'm ever going to become famous enough that somebody everybody's really going to just jam fives all of a sudden and like they're going to start going to Oh, a half six um, oh you're on a pretty well I
1: to to podcast man i don't know, uh, I don't know. <laughs> a, yeah i know right so <laughs> not
2: anymore the secret's out so we, like, got, uh, we, got inter- we got wrote a damn book
1: listening all over. but i yeah. but i
2: would say that just you know one of the things that I always did when I was just a sports fan and I, you know, a sports fan who bets, which probably describes like so many people out there. One of the things I would always do is I would always learn a lot about the sport and then just go make bets. Yeah, and sure. the more that you look at types of bets and the more you look at like, what am I doing? What you kind of figure out is like, okay, cool. Like still do that. Cause that's really fun, but also like take just as much time to look at like the history of the market and yeah. like what is happening. Like, don't just like enter into the market with your info. Like, I don't know anything about wind totals, but I love Florida, you know, or whatever. Yeah, like, right. I'm just gonna, and it's like, well, actually like teams in that nine, nine and a half, ten 10 range, like are generally all the teams that we get fired. So like this year, cause I know people probably care more about this year than any other, like just looking at my master list, like who, <laughs> who's like a power five team with a win total from nine, nine and a half to 10. So like Michigan, Ohio state, florida lsu texas utah oregon washington like sound I've familiar a lot of people these I've are all the teams that everyone's saying are the dark teams, horses yeah. right sure. does this sound familiar at all you know it's yes, just like it so it's just what category do these teams fall into oh this is really <laughs> interesting like these are all the teams we talk ourselves into every year okay. and then okay, at okay, the end of the year we're like ah shit mean, i got it just, wrong i mean you right, just, just put, described the cover art for yeah. like most of these previews, <laughs> right? Like, all those teams,
0: like somebody from all those teams is on the cover. Yes,
1: yeah, Well, you all. Right. So the sport. No, so you're you're telling us that the Sports Illustrated Jinx is real, that <laughs> they've got yeah. a Jinx. No,
2: no, well, no. Well, and no, to like, a certain yeah. extent, like it's lame to pick Alabama to win the title, right? So yeah, just try exactly. to pick somebody so else. I go right down. Whoever to else you pick, course. like yeah, okay. and, and here's the thing, like survivorship bias, like somebody's going to be right, you know, like somebody, like who, let's say the fourth playoff team this year is Michigan, like sure. a lot of people going to be right about Michigan, and those people are going to write their guide next year or whatever and all the people who didn't are going to start over again it's almost like beat the streak right it's like you play mlb beat the streak like if i if i'm at like nine or ten i'm calling everybody i know like i'm at i'm at 20 i'm at 21 and then like two weeks later they'll be like oh how you doing i'll be like ah don't ask it's like i'll just don't worry about it (laughs) so and then when i get to 20 again fire up the text again
1: yeah right okay so so let me put a fine point on this so uh it turns out remarkably that five is a key number in the win totals market for power five teams right so power five five um, correct and, and then also um the dark horse under lends itself uh, to be a very useful angle which leads us to the million dollar question who's your dark horse
2: oh man uh <laughs> <laughs> we didn't go- we didn't say you were going ask me who my dark horse was kind of an course. asshole move i love that yeah but if i just I know who your man? dark horse is. is i read, read the, the book, book. I know. Uh, that's not necessarily true because I don't so I would what I would say, uh, here I'll I'll come up with like a weirdo answer just because you're a stupid question. So um, so what I would say is uh, I don't I don't I don't think I have a dark horse in the wind total market. And in okay. fact I think college football is one of the. I mean, maybe other sports behave like this, so I shouldn't just like, say college football is so different for this reason. Maybe it's not at all. But in college football, I think there are absolutely situations where you could bet a team under their win total and you could bet a team to win the title. I think you could okay. bet both of those bets and feel really good about them. And in a certain way, it's different. Like, you know, if Alabama, yeah, if Clemson's, creating, if Clemson's win creating total was 11 Polish, and a half...
1: You're creating a Polish middle with a huge payout on either end, and you know yeah. that the middle is virtually impossible.
2: So, if yeah. Cle- if Clemson's win total is 11 and a half but they were 20 to 1 to win the title then it, like You know, of course, you could bet under 11 and a half and 20 to win with the title. Like, the price is good enough. Like, that's the most obvious, dumb example. But, like, there are situations where I actually think this is a good idea. And I would argue Michigan is starting to get to this point. Like, I don't, I don't in a million years want to bet Michigan over 10. Like, there are very few things I would (laughs) rather do less than bet Michigan over 10. And I think, I think at Bookmaker (laughs) right now, it's like 10 over minus 140. And I'm just like, I'm good like I think I'm just good. Like Michigan's yeah. going to be really good this year, but my win projection, god, what is my win projection for them? I'm 9.3. So like I don't, you know, not a really big consensus. Like if it gets to like 10 and a half, like I think I have to bet Michigan under even though I think they're a really likely team to win the title. And I think in the book I even said like if you can get like 14, 15, 16 to 1 or higher on Michigan, like you should do it. Because during the year you can't really recreate those odds by doing like rolling parlays and stuff like that. No, so chance. so I would so like dark horse this is but again, this goes back to like why dark horse is so dumb. Like I'm not betting Michigan over ten. Like, and I think Michigan <laughs> <can't> <laughs> bet 10, but I'm not betting them over ten. I just kind of told you like just it's like it's winning the title is more about ceiling than the average. Some teams have win totals of like seven, eight, eight and a half, nine that have like a zero <clears throat> in the title. I and,
1: love it. Okay. No, yeah, this makes perfect they're, sense. So no, no, that, no, no, no. no. The, the rules title. are the rules are clearly established then. If it's a dark horse team that you have, you want no part of the over, right? You're betting. It's the under or pass. It's the under or pass. And if you are in, if you are putting them in a pass category, if you want to put those three or four teams that you're passing on together and look at, you know, prices to win the title, there's possibly value there. So you think at 16 to one, there was value on Michigan?
2: I do. uh, I would say, I think there were three bets I made, and this is actually like, this isn't like you have to buy the guide to learn this because, again, the guide is <laughs> not really about the exact bets. But sure, uh, sure. Michigan to win the title I thought was really interesting. It's gotten bet down in a couple places. I think there's like I think there's like a 15 left. There's probably a couple 15s left. There might even be – there was like a recent shift at a couple offshores like in the last 48 hours, I want to say, where I think Michigan actually got bumped back up again. So, you know, I think Bama got jammed a little bit in those places. So, like, anyway, it moves around a little bit. But, like, okay. the idea is that – if you take Michigan like 16 now, then like you can't really rolling parlay during the season because they can eat a loss and still make it. If they did eat a lot of loss early, okay, cool. You can like rolling parlay all their money lines the rest of the year and you get better value. But like there's not really a great way to do it once you get to that number. When you get to like 8 to 1, 9 to 1, 10 to 1, all you do is you just like parlay like – whatever, Key Game X, Ohio State, and the Big Ten title game. and like, yeah, you're right. On,
1: yes, and you're Buck good. Right, okay. So, okay, so, okay. So anyway, dude, so Earth,
2: one more thing. One more Dark First. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. So the only other team I mentioned in the guide, and it was really annoying because I wrote the guide in like <laughs> late May, I would say, most of it, and then I got Phil Steele in the mail, and he liked Utah, and I think I actually just yelled, fuck, as loud as human <laughs> was. And just like god damn Great. it like, I was just like this is so dumb and like shocker their win total was eight and a half at open now it's nine and a half like neat yeah, right so like yeah. you know it's just, i like utah i don't like them a ton anymore my projection for them is 8.9 and now they're nine and a half <laughs> yeah, I'm, right again same thing. i'm getting really close if there's a utah tens like now i'm betting under every single time so yeah. it's just but like to make the playoff which is different than to win the title because you gotta play two semis to make the playoff Utah's schedule is like super, super advantageous. They have a lot of metrics that are really good. Like they fit playoff profile, and they were not being rated as well as a bunch of the other teams. That's the only reason I like them.
1: So. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, so, do you want to fire through? Just you know, go a little. We call an audible here. Go a little out of order, and kind of while we're on this topic of, of dark horse unders, just let us know if there's a handful of uh, power five teams that you're especially warm on the under
2: yeah just so i have every conference spreadsheet open to try to help me out here so okay. pick any conference and i'll just S- open SEC. it like this your
1: favorite who's your favorite under in the sec uh
2: tie florida okay. although it's Ooh, florida got tie? taken down and everybody knows why florida got taken down just like dm me or something like it, okay. i just saw it the other day just i don't know florida under nine absolutely love uh mississippi state under really 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 love at eight um, okay. it was eight and a half, and I have a little bit of it, but like tiny limits. So who cares? Gravity theory. eight Gravity eight, theory. Okay. eight eight Gravity theory. Eight. Still really, really, really good. So
1: okay, nice, nice. Uh, how about your Big Ten?
2: Oh don't man, say Minnesota. This, this conference, this don't conference say Minnesota. is the Okay, so so Minnesota <laughs> well, I under. I don't even know seven and a half. So <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, oh, I, yeah. I can't. <laughs> The most the most <laughs> likely under in the conference is probably Nebraska. At as long okay. as it's at eight and a half, I have okay. like the thickest difference ever in projection. And when like the market and I are just like we're like it's like a different sport. I just have okay. To wait leave. a
1: second. Wait a second. Even though uh, Ohio State is sitting at that sweet, juicy, fat softball coming over the middle of the plate. Well, a they're
2: they're second. they're second. They're So eight ten. and a half, eight and a half still in the zone. Only 90, You
1: said only nineteen percent of tens even go over.
2: That's true. So I i have a huge huge push probability though right nebraska is the (laughs) largest difference i know i think i think i (laughs) think think texas texas might be the largest difference i have between a win total and projection okay uh nebraska is like third or fourth i think so like it's just so much different that it has to be my favorite ohio state is the second largest difference and it's in the zone that we talked about where it's like you push tens like new quarterback that we have no idea where he is on the spectrum whatsoever new coach. Like there's so many things about Ohio state that are just like, why would you ever in a million years bet this over? Like if you want to pass pass, but like Ohio state's like the, like, like we were talking about before most teams in this range, it's pass or under like Ohio state is like pass under like never, ever, ever over. So
1: yeah, unless you're a booster, you're not placing them. Take it on Ohio. State. Yeah, Yeah.
2: Okay. Curveball.
1: Yeah. Curveball. Oh,
2: Go. oh god. Group of 5 Go.
0: conference.
2: Oh god. Pack twelve. Uh, wait, what? <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> I had I had my windows thing open to run a search for whatever conference you were going to say and then you just went and actually made like a pretty funny joke. That was unfortunate. So that was good. Um, okay, uh Pac-12, I really like Washington's under. Uh Ooh, okay. it's, in the, it's in it's in the zone. And I, the, uh, so just just so everybody knows I'm not actually basing the recommendations off of the zone that we just talked no, about. No, I like, don't know. all projections well, were done a lot with no too, zone whatsoever sure. in mind. Like, for I sure, didn't even know sure. about the zone when but I it did But it doesn't the projections, hurt. You know? Oh, sure. yeah. Well, now that, well, isn't it funny, though, that now that I look at it, like, when you don't have any awareness of like, who everyone thinks these teams are or no, like hype teams, isn't it interesting that my projection comes in under on like every single one of them? Like, yes. that's kind of interesting. Yes. Um, yes. So, Washington under is like by far the largest discrepancy I have. Uh, okay. UCLA's under went to six, or sorry, win total went to six. That creates a pretty large discrepancy at six, um, okay. five and a half, and probably nothing.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, how about uh, ACC? Everyone. Right. <laughs> ACC is w- no, see, that's this year, right?
2: I know. We didn't really talk about Clemson a ton. So, like, I have Clemson, yeah. like, I have Clemson well, okay. 10, and I okay, know so I'm too, I, say, I know I'm too low. Okay, like, okay. the,
1: that, that, that brings up a whole different conversation then.
2: What, what's what's the
1: deal with Clemson? Why, it sounds like you would think that in general that that's a bad bet. Yeah, people are still – they cannot help themselves but run to the window and lock down some Clemson money.
2: So uh, sometimes I make Seinfeld jokes and nobody is old enough to actually have watched Seinfeld. But there's like a really famous Seinfeld scene where George basically talks about how it's like – The it's not you it's me speech and like if it's anybody it's me like I invented if it's not you it's me so I would say with Clemson the situation is like it's not Clemson it's everyone else like Clemson's fine they're awesome like it's not really about Clemson but I think what has happened is like basically two things like everyone is rating Clemson the same as they were last year when In actuality, that was like the best Clemson team in the history of the school by a lot. That might have been one of the great teams of college football history, and every metric we have says that their Pythagorean win expectation in an eight-game ACC schedule was seven point seven two. Like it's the by far the largest number in since they joined the ACC. Like wow, this that's the best team at like. Well, just think about it. It's like NFL caliber defense that all came back that shouldn't have, and Trevor Lawrence. It's like that merged together in one season. So this year, you still have one of those things. Like the offense is going to be sick again. Like, yes, they recruit incredibly. Like, not as incredibly, by the way, as like a lot of the SEC schools. Like Clemson's four-year class average is like 11, and there's like five SEC schools in single digits. So it's not the same. Like this isn't Alabama, but they do have really good recruits. We don't know who the defensive players are, but that doesn't mean they're not awesome. So like, it's not really like Clemson's so bad, but like my sort of like understanding is that Clemson's being rated kind of like they were last year, which is not true. They will definitely not be that good. And in addition to that, all of the ACC teams are being rated like they were last year. (laughs) Like everyone is being shat on basically. And like, I just think that's like not the right way to approach a lot of these teams. Like, the bottom teams are probably going to be pretty bad still. Like, yeah. Like, you know, who's going to be pretty bad still like wake. They're not going to be pretty good. Like, yeah. Like I think BC is going to stink. Like, <laughs> but they, they going to be very beat, good.
1: Yeah. Wake beat uh, NFL quarterback, Daniel Jones. Like, right. I
2: so know. Much. Right. <laughs> Duke is like, Duke's like such an interesting team too. But, uh, cause yeah. like they should have been really good last year and they just weren't. And Jones got yeah. hurt and he wasn't that good, whatever. Um, but like, So, okay, Clemson's being rated a little bit too high compared to what they should be because they're being rated like the best team of all time. And everybody else in the conference, specifically like the next five teams, I think are all like kind of just definitely better than they were last year. So like the margin between Clemson and the teams who can reasonably expect to upset Clemson is smaller than I think people are saying. And I think that applies to their non-conference too. Like I think A&M is definitely better than they were last year. And I think South Carolina is better than they were last year. So like- Those are your two big games out of conference. So like, okay, like the margins are still big, but like they're all more compressed than everyone else thinks they are. So like, to me, that just creates a situation where like, I think Clemson goes 11 and one like so often. Like if there were 11s on Clemson, I would pay an incredible amount of juice to get over 11. Because like, I think, because I think like the, the range of outcomes in which they win 10 is like, Two percent or something, and yeah, okay. the, uh, but they win 11 an insane amount of the time, like two percent, obviously an exaggeration, but like they win 11 so much that, like, that's a situation where I would actually pay like so much for a half win, and 11 okay. and a half, I would bet the under.
1: Okay, okay, that, that all jabs. Um, and this kind of opens up the door then for them to sort of get the four seed, right? Like, they're gonna win the ACC, they'll they've having. The kind of, well, not uh, necessarily.
2: Like, what if they go undefeated? Like, if they go undefeated, their rep makes yeah, them like the yeah, two, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, no, no. It going to play out. if they but... go undefeated,
1: I'm just like, I, I'm, I'm living in the space of they go eleven and one, which, sounds and I'm a genius. Like that's the probably the, the, yeah, the that's most. Right. Uh, the, that's probably the most likely. So we get, we get a Bama Clemson semifinal. Potential right, Bama, which,
2: Bama, one million makes, percent of the time, yeah, that game which goes, makes but, your
1: other semifinalists. Uh, if you can figure yeah. out who the other finalist will be that's not Clemson yeah. and Bama, then you're a gold Utah against um, somebody, Utah no against saying. Michigan, yeah. yeah, okay, God, what All a Michigan, gross Michigan, playoff game, by the way. If that was the Michigan, playoff game, Georgia, oh, it's going to be Michigan, Georgia, probably, right. Yeah, a, that,
2: I think know, that makes. Michigan I mean, there's a there's a few matchups that make sense. Like Michigan Georgia. Oklahoma makes sense. Michigan Georgia makes okay. sense. Georgia Oklahoma okay. rematch makes sense. So okay,
1: all right, all right. Well, um, let me uh, okay, let me pivot uh, some of the are other we, oh, interesting. Are we aspects. not going to do
2: the Big Twelve?
1: Oh, I forgot about them.
2: Sorry, <laughs> it's, right. it's this year. You <laughs> yeah, can actually wow. probably forget about them a lot. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like plan. It's like, so yeah, big 12, there are 10 teams in the conference and four of them have first year head coaches. So we can just like say period and move on. But there are some unders that are appealing Texas. Like I'm going to, I don't know how much money I'm going to lose on Texas under (laughs) nine and a half. But like, I just, and, and like, I, I think even in the book, I was like when Herman wins as an underdog against LSU in week two and everyone's just like, oh, what's up, man? Texas under, huh? Yeah, like hook em. I'm just going to I just like <laughs> I'm just going to I'm going to delete my Twitter account. I just like I can't like all that. I'm ta- like, I, like all I'm saying <laughs> a good is run. the number like the num- like the formula, which has told us a lot of very smart information is telling me that Texas is 6.2 right now. <laughs> so oh. like, So like if that's true. then like, sorry, I have to bet nine and a half. I don't care about Tom Herman as an underdog. Like I don't, there's not, that's not built in somewhere. So it's just like the thing, the formulas that are telling us really smart things about power conference teams are telling me that there is a 3.2 win difference between Texas's, my average for them and their win total market. And that that is like by a large margin, the largest gap I have between two teams or between Mm. two numbers. so. Mm. So Texas and then one other one, I would say, I'm just giving out like way too many win totals on this podcast. <laughs> uh, I uh, Texas Tech went to six and a half like in the last I don't know four days or something. Okay. Um, and I that's not right. So six is okay. six is like fine, but six and a half like way under.
1: So. I love this. Okay, well that was a lot, and people can hopefully we're taking notes. Let's pivot a little bit and talk more more process. Cause there's two, there are two things I wanted to cover. We don't have to give this as much time as we talked to in totals here, but um, the two things that I wanted to cover, one was kind of just sort of from a, a stand back and evaluate your process for how you go about handicapping the Heisman market, because that, that I think lends itself to be translated across all futures markets. Uh, and then I also want to ask you about uh, coming up with a new metric to weave into a handicap and that process, because both of those are fascinating and useful and, and uh, kind of, helpful tools for people which one do you want to talk about first
2: uh, we can do heisman first that's like we okay. just talked about a bunch of teams so i guess okay. that's like a logical progression so tradition.
1: step 1 i'm open my i open my my offshore i'm looking at all these numbers i'm like boy there's some big numbers there i want a big number i want a big lottery ticket i'm going to make one bet and hold on to it and hope that i can beat my chest come december when the heisman ceremony is going on that i got some guy at what was what was kyler murray last year like 30 40 oh, 50 yeah. oh
2: opened somewhere between 25 and 50 and then like depending on where you went i i forget week one what he was i want to say like 25 30 something like that
1: is is there a better way
2: uh i mean yes like so i think this market is like what's like a good word i can use to describe this market wacky i don't know that's probably a bad word but like pretty wacky um it's just like it's tough and the best way to probably approach it is to immediately whittle down the list to the people who have like a greater than 0% chance of winning. So like if you're using a public offshore that has 10 guys up, then okay, cool. All 10 of those guys can probably win, but there's a couple of places. There's a really significant offshore that has like 500 options. And then there's a really, really significant offshore that has like 40, maybe like 35 options. Some of those players have a 0% chance of winning. Um, and the reason that they have a zero percent chance of winning is that their team is never going to be successful enough for them to win or there is like a less than one percent chance the team can achieve a record where they can win the award um so i think when i'm sure there are people that have tried to model the heisman in some kind of weird way like simulate the season in a way where you could figure out like at least like team chances of getting a certain record and like come up with some kind of statistical projections uh, but like it's it's like the wild west in terms of like, and I mean the market kind of bears that out a little bit to be perfectly honest. Uh, you know, with the year Lamar Jackson won, he was 110 to one to start the year. Uh, when Bryce Love was the favorite week eight, the year after that he was 175 to one. Um, you know, Kyler last year. Although you can make an argument that Tua just should have won probably, or that the two were at least equal and Tua was the favorite. Um, so there, you know, like the market doesn't do an awesome job of figuring out who's going to win this every year. So. You know what that tells you if like if the market's doing a really shitty job, then like it's probably gonna be really hard for you to do a really good job of doing it if you know the market can't do it either. So I think you know, to start off with, I would just basically like figure out who are the players who can actually win, and you'll probably come up with a list of like max twenty five, probably way less. But if you're really open minded about teams, and like and like you should be. (laughs) I don't know if I'm that open minded. Yeah, like, uh, let's say 20. Like, I think you could come up with – you could come up with 20 where I wouldn't toss anybody, like, right off the bat. And, okay, so what do you have? You have a lot of quarterbacks and a couple running backs. And you probably have, like, 15 quarterbacks and five running backs, something like that. And the way you've sort of set these criteria is, like, all right, the team has to have a reasonable chance of winning 10 games or more. Uh, the person has to play quarterback or running back, but you would favor quarterbacks because they win more often. Um And they have to have the likelihood of having a crazy statistical season. And there are other kind of things that people like to do, like West Coast people can't win and stuff like that. There's a couple other rules that people use. But even if you just did this, like, who are the teams that are really likely to win 10 or more games Who are the players who are really likely to have just, like, sicko statistical seasons? Like, crazy shit. Like, Lamar Jackson, you know, 50 total touchdowns, 3,000 passing, 1,000 rushing. Or, like, Baker Mayfield, like, best passing season of all time. Or even the running backs like Derrick Henry, I think, when he went at, like, 30 touchdowns. So, you know, who is likely to do that? If you just use those criteria, like, you're going to get a really small list. And then, like, how you take that list and assign what you think the market value should be for it. Like there's a few different ways to do it that could be effective. One is you could just use the team. So like whoever you think Alabama's candidate is this year, which really there's only one Alabama candidate this year, probably, but whatever, if you have a team with two candidates, like whatever you think, The teams are that are the most likely then those players should be the favorite because their team is the most likely to achieve like the win parameter that is required to win the award like we basically established like nine win players have won a couple times. It's really 10 or more like every single season. So that you could just do it based on team. And like this year, that's basically how it's happened because the two best players play for the two best teams. So like Alabama's candidate is the favorite Clemson's candidate is the second favorite. Like Georgia's quarterback is like the third or fourth favorite Ohio States or Oklahoma's quarterback is the, you know, like it's basically being done like, all right, like who are the quarterbacks for the really, really, really good teams. That's basically how it's being done this year. And like, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but, I think the idea of the guy who can accumulate stats at a crazy rate kind of throws that stuff out of whack sometimes, depending on who the really good teams are. So, like this year, Tua and Trevor can get like a billion yards. Like, it's not, this isn't a thing to talk about. But, like last year, like there were players that were in the top like five to 10 that just weren't going to get stats. Like, it just wasn't going to happen. Like, you could have an argument this year about whether Shea Patterson is going to get stats. And, like, if Michigan goes 12 and 0, And he's a game manager or he has a profile similar to the profile he had last year. Like he isn't going to win. I don't care if they go 12 and 0 can't win. So like the question with him is, is there going to be enough of an uptick in stats, especially against really good teams? Like his numbers against ranked teams are just garbage. So like, are, is there an uptick in stats, especially against good teams? Like that can create a situation where he wins. And at least by having a new offensive coordinator, that's at least possible, even though I would say it's unlikely. So like, you know, just by using these criteria, again, like, can I at least stop you from making the bad bet, right? That's like kind of the point of a lot of these things. Like, I can't necessarily tell you what the most valuable Heisman bet is right now, but I can tell you what like the 150 set money on fire bets are. And if I can stop you from betting on those, then at least you're putting your money somewhere where you have like a fighting chance. In the Heisman, that's probably that's probably the best I can do. <laughs>
0: yeah. You know that t v show on the discovery Channel, how it's made, yeah, of course, kind of like what this was you you get to, you get to, i like I like just uh listening I mean we've said this for a couple years now, this is mm-hmm. one of our favorite things about guests is just hearing process and I will say like this was i mean it's earlier on in the book, and the way I read a book an ebook is sometimes I skip around a little too, but this was one of the first sections I read was your heisman breakdown and I just, I just like the way I like a, a process of elimination where you're actually putting some logic behind it. Uh, anybody who does buy or read the book, this is my favorite part,
1: probably. I <laughs> uh, like I it said, applies, it applies. It applies across. Yeah, but no, I mean, like I just, take, I, 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 yeah. You can take the philosophy no, no, and apply this to thing, an NFL it, it market. It applies, it applies to, to every market. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Any that's awards market, it. right? Any yeah. any awards market, there are qualifying parameters. That if you do some digging, if you scratch up some historical results and you figure out, well, what did the market think about these teams before the season started? And, you know, like, okay, well, here were the, you know, here were the prices. Here is, you know, you can absolutely establish some of these rules for yourself uh, for certain prop markets that are, you know, that are awards or, you know, that are voting based. Like, you know, I I can tell you right now, if you're going to bet into the NBA MVP market, you better pick a team that finishes in the top two. Of either conference, period. Like you have to did. win like fifty you know, games or more. Have, have, to. To. have not a, to. Not, period. not yeah, yeah, not, not debatable. Not negotiable so. not debatable. Or average right? a triple like, double. Not do not double. Almost no, or, yeah. yeah, right. Right. Or, yeah. Right. And like like it like it's just it's it like that step alone where you're like, oh, okay. Like there's really only five or six teams that could even get there. And out of those five or six teams, like there's clearly one alpha on the team who it could be like you've already whittled your way down to a really small list and you know hey sum up those probabilities like you could be looking at a list that on of those five or six names there is a 100 percent chance that the, that the winner is on that list and if you add up the break even probabilities across those five or six names you might get 80 75 60 percent which means you're gonna get the rest of that margin and put it in your pocket right I mean like you know granted you have to be read about that sort of thing if you take that approach but You know, I think that if you can establish some hard criteria for some of these type of awards, then you, you know you're off and running.
2: Right. Like what I would say is the the difference between like things like the Heisman, so like award markets, and I don't know something like single game markets or sides totals, whatever is. Okay, so we have these like hard and fast rules like these don't really work in game environments right where like there's more unpredictability like in any game there is a chance the other team wins like it's a non zero chance in basically every game. Like the reason why I think parameters are more effective in award markets is that you're basically trying to predict like narrative human behavior and if you know that everyone who votes for an award is always drawn to specific things, then you can try to identify those things. And if those things do not exist, then that player can be eliminated because the people who are voting approach things the same way. So you're not really like trying to figure out like when the game is played, what happens, which has like a billion variables going on. You're basically trying to be like, if I'm like a reporter for the freaking like times, pick a and I'm looking at, you know, college stats, like if a guy won eight games, I'm never voting for him. So if I know that every reporter is looking at it like that, then yeah, I'm tossing people who aren't going to win more than eight, like eight games or fewer. So... You know, I think there's right, just like, like the, the, the set of rules you can apply is just different than if you were trying to do like a game that has a lot of variation. Yeah.
1: Right. Like the Texas quarterback has no shot because they're going to win 16. Right?
2: Well, <laughs> well I don't know. I, there are a lot of people in the market who would disagree with me, apparently. what I would say just just because like somebody's going to ask me that question. So like Sam Ellinger is like super popular Heisman like this year, I think like sure. he's pretty low in the market. Uh, well, I mean, their win total is nine and a half. Like he should be pretty high up on the market. Um Look at his statistical season last year. This will be like, this isn't a rhetorical question, but I'm not going to answer it. So look at his statistical season last year, and then bear in mind that he received zero votes in any way for the Heisman Trophy. Look at the season that he had. He got zero votes. They won 10 games. So like, or nine, whatever they were. They beat Georgia. So in the bowl game, whatever, nine or 10 games. Like, look at his season. That He got zero votes. Like, tell me that he's going to have a better season statistically than he had last year. It was like, a, he like, like 35 touchdowns and like two picks. It was like so dumb. It wasn't that it was, that's exaggerated, but like just again, if you're like Sam Ellinger, like look at the stat profile, like tell me he's going to be better than that. He had yeah. zero votes. Zero. Yeah. yeah,
1: so. yeah, 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 Okay. Uh, I love this. Uh, let's pivot then to the very, very last one. Talent score. Um, so uh, this struck a chord yes. because this kind of goes back to kind of my underlying philosophy about building model, building anything quantitative. Um, If you do it the way someone else does it, likelihood is you're not going to do it as well. If you're just kind of going with the same old way that most of the people in the market are are doing it, you're gonna presumably do it a little more sloppy, a little slower, and you're not gonna get you know you're not gonna realize any gains on that. And when you do find edges, it's gonna be because you know you are missing the key part that everyone else has, and you're basically gonna be finding bad sides, bad totals, whatever. Um, And so that leads me to okay, well then, how do you do it? right? Like what is important? And I think you can start and end with differentiation. Like you have to have a very unique, you know, take on the specific aspect if you want to try to incorporate it quantitatively. And maybe no better way of doing that than taking a problem that exists where there doesn't exist a, a, a metric already and coming up with one from thin air. And that is what you did as it relates to trying to come up with a numerical value to capture the talent level on any given team and i thought as i read it i was like this may not bear fruit this year this may take a couple years to figure out i don't i don't know how long it will take but i know that it will work because i was like this is exactly what is needed to answer this problem and like this is an approach that is sound from a philosophy standpoint and you know you know you can be can be back tested for years and years and years like it like it had all it checked all the boxes uh how did you kind of get there
2: uh thanks so this is this is the best metric since nba fatigue factor right this was that was your thing this was like that's that, this is that, that next turned out up. turned out
1: that <laughs> was total that was total nonsense it was all noise and we're not ever Malarkey. talking about again
2: I think I followed that for like three weeks, was so interested in it. I won a lot of money. There was like a bucks heat Saturday night game. Yeah. I think do, I took Miami at home yeah, and it was yeah. like plus five. I took a money line yeah. and I was like, oh fatigue factor. This shit's small.
1: Amazing. Small this sample like size. Fooled by yeah. fooled by small sample size.
2: Uh hey, I mean, I've been there times by months, so Sorry about it. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Hashtag Taleb. So like uh what I would say is uh talent score was something. I would say that was like one of the first things I came up with when I was writing the book, because I just like one of my big problems with discussion about college football is that there are so many teams and there are so many pieces of information available that not everyone really like has. So what I mean by that is like if you're listening, if you're a cat like a college football fan and you're listening to someone talk about a specific team, of which there are 130 like they're going to start naming very like small pieces of information that you probably don't have. And you're going to be like, wow, like I never knew that's so interesting. Like I love this team now, or I don't love this team now. Like I was listening to, I think I was listening to David Pollock do Rosillo's podcast last year. And like, I like both of those guys a lot, and I think they're really good at their jobs. However, Pollock was on talking about Auburn and why he didn't think they were very good last year. And one of his things during the season was like, yeah, you know, I watched the tape and, like, Jarrett Stidham doesn't fit with their offense. And, like, the reason is that they don't run any intermediate passing routes. Like, all of their route trees are, like, deep or shallow. And I was like, wow, that's like the most interesting thing in the world. Like, that's such an interesting piece of analysis that doesn't help me one iota to figure out who's going to be good that season. So, like, there's so much information and it's really, really, really tough to take, like, all of the things you know about all the teams and boil them down to a number. And when it comes to talent evaluation, it's the same thing. It's we have... Star recruiting ratings from multiple different services. We have like how the guys were in high school. There are transfers, like there are graduate transfers. It doesn't matter like what the playing experience is at the school. Like, what if a guy's coming in year one from somewhere else? We have every single position group of which there are many, and the rosters are much bigger than they are in the NFL. So it's just like, oh, let me learn 110 different players at 130 different schools and then try to make sense of anything that's going on there. And we're all sort of naturally going to be drawn to some kind of statistic that probably we thought helped us in the past, but really didn't. It was just noise. So, like, I know there are a lot of people that do the, like, oh, all five offensive linemen back, like, the whole line, like, pretty cool. And it's like, well, yeah, but, like, when you won the win total, like, did you really win it because of that? Or was it like all of these other things that actually like won it for you that you didn't even know were happening or was it totally random? And so, you know, like because everybody has these biases with position groups and like, Oh, like, Oh, like they're running back as a pro. Like who cares if all of their sacks from last year aren't on the team anymore or like the other way around, like, Oh, the D line is so sick and be like, yeah, but like every single skill position player on the offense was like a two star recruit. So like, you know a way to kind of make sense of all this is to try to basically like not even have to look at it in a meaningful way and like try to distill it into one number and returning production uh which is an idea i got from bill Connolly, who like i think works at espn now which is pretty awesome um he's like he was like the that was like one of the biggest light bulb moments I ever had, which was like a couple of years ago, which was like, yeah, like, why don't we actually just start measuring like how much of every key statistic is coming back the next year instead of looking at names and position, you know, group rankings and like power rankings of teams. It's just like this stuff is everywhere and none of it matters. So, like, what if we just took all of that and tried to make it a number? And then what if we tried to make recruiting? Which is something that I tried to like do on my own, is like go to every service, average it out, like all this stuff. What if we tried to make that one number? Okay, so I've got these two numbers. Like, what if I took both of them and tried to make that into one number? Like, let's try to literally make it as simple as humanly possible to try to figure out how good the players are at the school this year. And so talent score is what I came up with. It's basically just recruiting and returning production, like merged and weighted and flipped, so that the larger the combined score is, the better. And, you know, it's not the most incredible metric that's ever been come up with. I've tried like tweaking it a little bit and like either changing the weights or adding in other variables or whatever. And it's not, that doesn't make it necessarily like any more predictive. So there's a lot of room to build off of this. But I just think the idea of like, if you're a college football fan and you're not like you don't have a billion hours to consume all of this information about teams and make a good decision. Like being able to just look at one number and be like, Oh shit, that team's going to be pretty good. Or like, Oh my God, that like that talent score is like, like if you look at Boston college's talent score, you're just like, like no shot this year. So, you know, like just being able to make that decision and not feel like you're missing out on stuff is I think really valuable for people that just don't have like infinity hours to consume this stuff. So, you know, I thought the metric was like a pretty good idea it seems to be one of the things that people like the most when they read it uh when they read the book which is cool and i think the best i would say by far the best thing about it is it was incredibly easy to come up with there are things that are very obvious that are not in it which can be added if we can account for them correctly so it's sort of like the first step toward a really good metric which i think is like kind of exciting
1: yes absolutely agreed and it's falls right into why I mean I appreciate it because I'm that person who doesn't have the bandwidth to understand everything about all these teams and if you can boil it down to as simple as this is how talented that team is like I, now I actually have some perspective to, to operate on and I freaking loved it so good job by you uh Andy you got any final final questions final thoughts yeah wrap this beauty I, I mean up?
0: just I like the way how I mean I like the way how it takes a known quantity in how good a team was last year because you know how good a team was last year you don't know anything about this year it takes that known quantity and tries to bring it forward you know somehow quantitatively so it'll it'll be interesting to see how that goes and yeah by the book
2: yeah so he what knows, I would say even though he just so, gave
0: you He gave you half the book here
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah last welcome. so that's what I was gonna say so I basically put out a poll like i'll give out some win totals let me know what conference you want win totals from. <laughs> well well guess what you all oh, got no. win totals you, you all win. win so everyone I, oh, here's what oh, here's oh, what i would right. say so i had a guy i don't remember his name i don't have twitter open i have a guy who commented on that poll i think i had two people that were like why isn't the mac on the poll i want a mac win total <laughs> so Dude, it was, guess, we, we so need guess what so guess what like random guy 69 here's your freaking mac win total so because <laughs> so, every other conference got one right people want the sure. mac okay here's your fucking Mac okay. total. so we, we i really like action. i really like eastern michigan under six and a half they have like the most negative indicators of all time going into a Mac season so mac it turns out is incredibly fun for a lot of reasons, and that have to do with maction. Yeah. So when everybody thinks about matching, it's like, oh, like, crazy high-scoring back-and-forth games, unpredictability, gotta watch every Tuesday night, have to bet on the games, whatever. So it should then come as no surprise that a lot of the teams are very evenly matched when you look at a lot of metrics, especially talent stuff. And one of the things that can ultimately determine who has a really good season and a bad season is turnover margin, especially in conference play. So if you can just pare down things to turnover margin and conference play. When you have a sicko turnover margin in conference play one year, it should not surprise you that that does not stay the same the next year and that you will experience insane regression as a result of that. And in Mac play, that's incredibly predictive in other conferences, less so because there's more talent difference. There's all sorts of other stuff going on Mac. It's like, Here are all these Midwest schools that are incredibly even with a couple exceptions, just beating the shit out of each other. And whoever turns the ball over the most loses. (laughs) And Eastern Michigan had an insane turnover margin last year. They have a bunch of other negative indicators too. And my projection for them is like just under six and a half. But I think like I don't – the likelihood they go over that number I think is pretty small. So I would say for those of you that wanted a MAC win total, give me Eastern Michigan under six and a half.
1: I love it. Love it. Great, the turnover margin, regression to the mean. Oh, that's such a that's such a tried and true. Uh, you know, uh, anyway, great stuff. God, I'm, lot, I'm pumped from action now. I know, I'm pumped for college football in general. This is going to be great. I can't wait for I can't wait for this. Uh, where can people uh, find your book? Where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, sure. How do we, you, know, t- tell us what else do you have coming up for the rest of the college football season? Like, yeah, I, so... I, I, I'll be honest with you. Like, I dare someone to tell me, where they've heard better coverage as far as college football goes than on this podcast. Seriously, oh, like, chucks. like, I, yeah. no, like, seriously, like that. This was as useful and utilitarian of a prep for college football as I ever could have hoped for. Like, you know, people have got to be wondering, like, where can I get this information week in week out? Come college football season,
2: sure. I don't know if I have a great answer for that right now, but I can tell you where to buy the book. Uh, so, uh, so the book is available on Amazon. The number one thing that I can't believe I've had to tell. A lot of people but I it's it's my fault because I read a lot on my phone so I lose track of like not everybody reads a lot on their phone so anyway you can go to Amazon you click a button you buy the book all you have to do to read the book no matter what phone you own no matter what tablet you own you can own some generic fourth-party tablet from Korea and if you can get the Kindle app which is free you can read the book you just have to pay for the book on Amazon so you go to Amazon you buy the book Download the app on whatever phone you want. You can read it. It's called Lockie Lockerson's 2019 College Football Season Preview, which is pretty descriptive of what's actually in the book. There's nothing real, no real mystery there. Um, it's done better than I thought it would do up to this point, considering there's like a month to go until the season starts. It's the number one bestseller in all sports betting books and all football books on Amazon, which is pretty cool. It's currently, actually, this is true, in football books. It is currently ahead of the autobiography from the last chance you head coach who got suspended or fired or whatever at the end of last season. Spoiler alert! Um, and so I, you know, yeah, it's know. it's going well. And uh, in terms of the season, uh, I would f- say fired. I don't. Re- yeah, dude. Uh, we haven't watched. Uh, somebody, somebody's I'm on like kidding. episode four right now. Who's just like, God damn it! Like, uh, like I really, really want to finish the season. And so, they're probably an so, like, Eastern
0: <laughs> Michigan fan.
2: Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this was not the podcast for that person. Um, but I would say so. Like Amazon, that's how you buy the book. Appreciate everybody who's bought it. Re- if you love it, leave a review. Whatever. Uh, this season, I cannot in full detail tell you what I will be doing. Suffice to say, I will say I will have a couple announcements pretty soon about what I will be doing. So
1: all right well fantastic we'll we'll leave it here thank you for, again as always for your perspective on these sort of things and uh you yeah, know congratulations on uh, your success becoming a bona fide published author and uh with that yeah we'll call pretty it pretty crazy call it a pod, so. we'll call thanks it a guys
0: pod. call it Appreciate a podcast it. talk to right. talk to everybody in a couple of days
1: yep best of luck this year thanks